Hello, this is Daniel Orton, pastor of Harvest House United Pentecostal Church in Marion, Kentucky. It is our desire to see hurting hearts and minds healed as they are born again into the kingdom of God. It is my desire that this podcast will be a blessing to you and help bring you closer to Jesus. I don't want to start calling names or nothing like that, but we're thankful for everybody that's here today. Appreciate all the churches represented and you guys being here. But we're going to jump right in, let Brother um, Near take over and speak his heart. But I'm so glad to have Pastor Ryan Near with us. Yeah. Amen. All the, while, all the way from Colorado Springs, Colorado, is that where it's at? Colorado, yeah. Colorado. Colorado. We're so glad he's here with us. Always been one of our favorite evangelists, and he has always been a prophetic voice to this church. I believe that with all my heart, and I'm so thankful that he is here, and I want you to uh, get engaged with him tonight and, and let him minister to us. So give Brother Deer a good hand as he comes tonight. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, let's just clap for Jesus, everybody. He's the reason why we're here. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Where'd Bethany go? I was going to sing. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't like those trees out there. I don't like those trees. You're supposed to say, why? Because they're shady. I had a little kid, one of the young guys that I pastor, he's about seven years old. He came up to me. He said, Pastor, I don't like those trees out there. And I said, why? He was so serious. He said, because they're shady. <laughs> he didn't get that. He got that from his dad. <laughs> it's good to be back in Marion. Um, 16 years, goodness, what an honor to be here to speak to you uh, 16 years deep in, in apostolic ministry, digging out a work. Um, and that, I mean, that's something to be said. I mean, in the middle of nowhere, I think I, I, think I had to wave a cow across an intersection coming here. I mean, goodness, so to... I mean, it takes a special anointing. Amen. Um, but no, I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to break the ice a little bit um, because, listen, I'm just going to say this for everybody involved in this service, that give God a chance. Amen. Give, listen, give God a chance to work in your life tonight. Because I'm telling you, in a service just like this, a 17-year-old me, I got a picture, it fell out earlier, like, I got a 17-year picture when I was 17, bleach blonde, I stole the dye from Kmart so I could bleach my hair like Eminem, trying to be like Slim Shady, but that's me in a baptism tank 
washing away all my sins because I came to a service just like this about the same amount of people and I gave God a chance and I'm telling you I was on drugs I was drinking I was partying I was dating girls I ought not to have been dating but I'm telling you I came to one service and as tough as I thought I was I crumbled in the presence of God and God I just gave God a chance and God changed my life Amen. Goodness, good to see you, man. Look, look, I, I'm not not making light, but I like the colors. You know what colors? That's Dunkin' Donuts colors. I like it. Oh, come on now. There's coffee. Amen. Good to see you. Give God a chance tonight. Why don't we give God a praise, a hand clap. Just lift your voice. Say, God, I'm here. Amen. Amen. So good to be in the house of God. I'm just going to, I'm going to talk to the church. Is that all right? I don't know where the pastor went, but I'm going I'm to preach to the church. Matthew chapter 2. The gospel of Matthew chapter Two, and I'm going to read verses, I think, whatever I gave you, one through seven, three through seven, what did I give you? Whatever. There we go. Then four, five, six. You ready? We're going to have fun this week. Bethany, great job tonight. Text, you're good too. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, the Bible says now. Somebody shout now. now. That's a transitional phrase. Now. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, the king, behold there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying where is he that is born king of the Jews we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him and when Herod the king had heard these things he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together he demanded of them where Christ should be born and they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea for thus it is written by the prophet and thou Bethlehem somebody shout Bethlehem and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule thy people my people Israel. Tonight, I want to preach about that place. That he said it's the least of places. I want to preach about Bethlehem and the law of first mention. Okay? Will you help me pray? 
However you know how to pray, I just want you to bow your head. I want you to lift your hands and just say, God, speak to us. Father, we come to you right now. Lord, we lift our hands and our voices together as one. And I pray, oh God, that you would allow my tongue to speak as an oracle of the Lord. Loose my tongue to speak with understanding and revelation. Let your anointing articulate every word. And I pray, break every yoke, Father. I pray that you would let us come with that understanding, Lord, that would enable us to operate in obedience, Father. I bind every hindering spirit, whether human or demonic. I pray your perfect will be done. Let there be impartation in this house. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. name. Amen. Everybody look at your neighbor say, Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Amen. And you may be seated. Amen. Night and day and day and night. Night and day. Day and night. Make me a house of praise. Isn't that crazy? The Bible says that his church is supposed to be a house of, not a house with. House of prayer. Amen. The city of Bethlehem is called the cradle of Christianity. It's where it started. Located about six miles southwest of Jerusalem, the climate is a typical Mediterranean, Mediterranean climate, but milder because of its altitude and nearness to the sea. The agriculture... Bethlehem is surrounded by fertile fields, vineyards, fig and olive orchards. Bethlehem actually means the house of bread. It was also the renowned city of David. It was here that a young David was anointed by the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 1-13. But it is most commonly known, Bethlehem, as the birthplace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Bethlehem was prophesied about in Micah 5. The prophet foretold that Messiah would come from the small and seemingly insignificant town and place of Bethlehem. The prophet said, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler, somebody shout a ruler. A ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. And he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of this name of the Lord his God. For he will be highly honored around the world. And he will will be the source of peace, O Bethlehem. You may only be a small village among all the people. 
But out of you is going to come a ruler. There will be a woman that is pregnant, obviously mentioning as a woman that would have give birth, although she was a virgin. He's going to come from you. A leader is going to raise up from a seemingly insignificant place to govern God's holy people. He will be honored around the whole entire earth. But he's coming from you, O little Bethlehem. I don't know if you can catch the significance tonight. There's just a few people here. We're in some seemingly small, insignificant place. But like Bethlehem, out of it came something great. Out of it came something that could turn the world upside down. He said in his holy word, he said, Don't despise the day of small things. Don't despise it. It's just a beginning. But he was saying, Oh, little Bethlehem, you small village. Out of you is coming that's going to turn the world upside down. And it was Matthew that recognized and recorded the fulfillment of that prophecy that I just read to you. And it clearly states that it was Bethlehem that was the birthplace. Bethlehem, although small, seemingly insignificant, just a community outside of other cities, but it was the birthplace of our hope. It was the birthplace of our salvation. It was the birthplace of our healing. It was the birthplace of our deliverance. It was the birthplace of deliverance from addiction. It was a birthplace of restoration for our marriages and our homes. It was the birthplace of the miracle working power of a God in our lives. Bethlehem was the place, the birthplace of revival. It was Bethlehem that was the birthplace of the prophetic fulfillment of the Messiah. The, oh, God. I'm sorry, I'm getting excited. But I want you to understand Bethlehem, although insignificant at face value, became the very thing that changed the world. It was the birth place, the beginning of your brand new life. But, like I said, I'm going to preach about Bethlehem. Yes, it was the birthplace. But Bethlehem in its beginnings. If you study the law of first mention, let me, let me kind of give you the layout of what the law of first mention is. The law of first mention says that to understand a particular word or teaching... In the Bible, we must find the place in Scripture that the word or doctrine is revealed. And we have to study that passage. The reason is that the Bible's first mention of a concept or a place or a person is the simplest and clearest presentation throughout all of Scripture. 
So the doctrines are then more fully developed on that foundation. So to fully understand an important and complex theological concept, Bible students are advised to start with its first mention. Where is it first found in the Bible? And when you read where it is read in the first time in your Bible, you will find that there is understanding and the grounds for that understanding. So if you have something in the Bible you don't understand, the best thing to do in what they teach at Bible schools to Bible students all over the world is you've got to go back to where it began. You've got to go back to its first mention so you can find the grounds for that understanding. See, uh, that's why Genesis, Genesis is called the book of beginnings. It's like the garden that naturally it contains many first mentions planted like seeds that will blossom throughout the entire Bible. See, including the foundations of these doctrines you will find in the book of Genesis, their first mentions like divine omnipotence, that God is all-powerful. You will find the first mention of creation, paradise, marriage, family, sin, sacrifice, atonement, angels, prayer, judgment, covenant, government, death, burial, so on and so forth. Even Jesus, when asked about marriage... Jesus pointed to two first mentioned passages. He said, haven't you read that in the beginning the creator, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Even Jesus, who was that omnipotent God robed in flesh, when he was asked a question to give the understanding Standing, he pointed back to the first mention of marriage in the Holy Word. Because I'm telling you, it is the first mention, is the foundation for you to understand the Word of God. It's what they teach in hermeneutics, the literal biblical interpretation. You want to know why this is so powerful? Because if you're going to understand the Word of God, you have to understand the law of first mention. And you've got to go back to the beginning of a thing so you can understand understand the end of a thing right so that's why when you study because it is so easy to take this word of God it is so easy the Bible says that there would be those that would be deceived that they would take the scripture and they would twist it to their own destruction you want to know how they do that they'll take one verse of scripture and they'll pull it from its context They'll take one scripture out of context, out of its surrounding verses. And when you take a word and you take it out of its context, it becomes what they call a pretext. And a pretext is the beginning. You're making your own first mention. You make it a pretext, and that, that begins the narrative you want to tell. So that's why they will take one verse of Scripture and try to make salvation out of it, and they can. You want to know why? Because they pull it out of the book that it was put in, Book of Romans. We'll go to Acts 10. Let's go to verse 9. Oh, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and thou shalt be saved. And they pull that out of the context of 
Paul writing to the Jews in Rome who were struggling to confess but were already baptized. And he takes it out of the context and we make it a pretext. And we make our own first mention to tell our own narrative of what we believe about what the Bible says. But that's why when you find something, you've got to go back to the first mention. So you have the grounds for understanding. So you have the context. Go back to the seed. But if you go and you try to find out, what was the first mention of Bethlehem? What was the understanding that was the grounds for this one day birthplace of our healing, our salvation? Where does it start? Where's the beginning of the beginning of our new life? Well, if you read, it's all the way back in Genesis. And you will find that in Genesis chapter 48 and verse 7, Genesis 48 and verse 7, pull that up, you'll find out that the context is this, that there was a man named Jacob who was a man of God who had 12 sons. And, and his one son, Joseph, had been uh, sold into slavery by his own brothers. What a family. Right? Talk about dysfunctional. Right? But watch what it says. He's telling his son Joseph, who's, who has been sold into slavery, betrayed by his brothers, and he'd been in prison, he went in a pit, he went through all kinds of junk. You thought your siblings were mean. But watch this. This is Jacob. He says, Joseph, I know you've been through a lot. But he said, as for me, you ain't the only one that's gone through stuff. He said, we've all gone through stuff. But he said, as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way. When yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath. That word Ephrath means fruitfulness. He said, I was on the way to being fruitful. My life being valuable or having, you know... Uh, I'm trying to put it in common, just vernacular, right? Just uh, It's like my, my life was, I was going the right direction. And I was on my way to being used of God. He said, I was on the way to Ephrath. But as I was going, your mom died. Joseph, your mom died. But on the way to Ephrath, your mom died. And I had to bury her. Along the way. He said, I was on the way to being fruitful, but on the way to being fruitful, on the way to harvest, on the way to revival, I had some loss that took place. I had some pain that was paved in the road to fruitfulness, and I had to bury her there. And watch what he said. And I buried her there in the way of Ephrath. The same is Bethlehem. I've come to preach to this church. 
You've had some pain. You've had some loss. You've had some burials. You've had some things happen. But can I tell you, the same is Bethlehem. What that tells me is the law of first mention is saying, yes, Bethlehem is a birthplace, but it was a burial place before it was a birthplace. He said, you may experience pain, but the place of pain is about to become the place of prophetic fulfillment. It was a place of hurt before it was a place of heat. You had to bury some things before that place. Let me just say it like this. Like Jesus, when he was buried in the tomb, it was only three days difference when that tomb became a womb that produced the firstborn among many brethren. I'm telling you, it was that grave that they laid Jesus in uh, that just a little while longer and that grave became the birthplace of resurrection power. So what I've come to say, this is your Bethlehem. You had to bury some loved ones, you had to lose, and you suffered pain, but the burial place is about to become of your revival of your my God my God <laughs> you gotta understand the law of first mention he's saying that the burial place will ultimately become the birthplace but if you quit on the way, you're not going to see everything God said you'd see. You're not going to have everything God said you'd have. And you've known enough loss on the way to harvest. You've, you've known enough pain on the way to harvest. But I'm here to tell you, don't just quit, don't just give in because the burial place becomes the birthplace. Yes, this is the law of first mention for Bethlehem, but it doesn't stop there. We see the understanding, we see the revelation flow throughout the entirety of Scripture because that you have to understand, it's this, this, this concept of Bethlehem, it, it is the uh, foundation of theological significance for your salvation. Because notice, think about this, Romans 6. Let me show you this. Romans 6, 4 and 5 talks about baptism. He says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Right? So he said we are buried with him by baptism. Which, okay, yeah, we know that. We've heard that. It's not real exciting anymore because salvation gets old. Right? But watch this now. Baptism 
is a burial. When you go down in the water, like I did when I was 17 in that old horse trough in freezing cold water, do you still got your... It's out there? When I went down in that water, it was a burial. I wasn't just getting wet, but I was take, God was taking away my sin. Right? But that baptism is a burial. But watch this now, John 3. Watch this, what this says. John 3 and 3 and 4 and 5. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? And he entered the second time in his mother's womb. He's like, How does that work? That's awkward. He's an old man. He said, You got to be born again. He said, How do you do that? Do you, how, how can a man <laughs> enter the second time into his mother's womb? He said, I don't get the anatomy of it. I don't understand. And she's like, no, 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 no. You, you No, 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 wait. He, he explains further. He said, Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Except a man's born of the water. Just like, now, do you see what that just showed us? Like Bethlehem, the same place when you go down in the water in a burial. The burial place is the birthplace. You have to understand, but that just doesn't apply to your salvation. That when you go down in that water and you bury that old man, you want to know. Ah, I, I did this last night. I'm going to do a little illustration. Tex, will you come help me? Will you help me? All right, yes. He got chocolate milk. Man, he, boy, he's a stud. Got some chocolate milk in there. You know when the Bible talks about putting off the old man or burying that old man? I showed this last night. There was a concept back in those days. You can't really find it in a lot of historical records. There's some historical literature that records uh, this concept of Roman uh, uh, punishment for a murderer. What they would do is, there was a thing called necrocratic confinement. All right? And so when Paul was talking about the old man, you got to bury that old man. He wasn't talking about his dad. All right? You got to bury the old man. My old man was crucified with Christ. Like Jesus or Paul's father was sitting there on the cross with Jesus. No, his old man. He was talking about the, the, the murderers in those days. There was a punishment in Rome that put your, put your back to me. Put your back to me. Okay? Put your hands out like a cross. What they would do in this necrocratic confinement, they would literally take a murderer and then take another murderer who was already dead. And they would tie them together. Right? And what would happen was, it's just a matter of time before that old man, he talked about, called him the old man in the body of sin. This is the body of sin. Now here's what happens. I'm tied to this old man and the putrefaction and the death that is working in this body will eventually begin to creep into the living tissue and corrupt it. Right? So he was saying, Paul was like, you've got to, you've got to bury that old man. You've got to get free from that old man. And, and that's, what I, that's what he was saying was, you've got, what, what do you got to bury? You've got to bury that old man, that dead person. That, you, that ain't who you are. You've got to break free of that. And you've got to bury that in a watery grave of baptism and leave the 
once you get free and you bury the old man, it's the birthplace of a brand new life. Right? But it's not just about your salvation. I felt like I was supposed to come and preach. You believe that for your salvation. But salvation is continually working. Sorry, I smacked myself earlier because I felt spit on my face. I'm sorry. Somebody seen me do that. We're like, oh my goodness, he just smacked himself while he's preaching. No, but listen. We believe that so strong that if somebody does not bury the old man and experience new birth, we believe 100,000% that if that person's not born again, that they will face eternal judgment. It doesn't matter what sin it is. If we don't, it doesn't matter if a, the perfect person, the white privileged perfect person, it doesn't matter. If they're not baptized in Jesus' name, born of the water and the Spirit. But we believe that. We preach that. We, we'll die for that. But listen, that same thing applies to every situation in your life. That the burial place is the birthplace. And the place that produced pain is a place that also will produce promise if we do not quit. If we do not give up. If we don't just throw in the towel. But what I felt, I'm going I'm to preach to you. I'm, gonna, I'm not, not very much longer. I'm trying, yeah, I'm actually stalling so it could be a little bit longer. Because I'm almost done, Bethany, so you just get ready at any moment. But here's the thing. I felt a very strong word. That you need to understand just like your salvation. The burial place is the birthplace. You need to believe it just as much as the place that God called you and the place that God brought you here as this burial place. It's been a season shrouded in mystery. It's been a season that we, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know where we're going to go from here. Do we stay here? Do we pack up? Do we, what do we do? And I believe that we're transitioning from a season that is shrouded or clouded in mystery to a season of the miraculous. But... Uh, because here's what you have to understand. That the burial place becomes the birthplace. But it was thousands of years and there was times of silence in between where they didn't know where God was and they didn't know what God was doing. But it was after a while, after a while, the burial place becomes the birthplace. But you've got to remember it. I remember there's a verse of scripture that talks about David. David made mistakes, but he was a man after God's own heart that would fulfill all of God's will according to the book of Acts. But the Bible said that when he took Bathsheba to be his wife that he impregnated her in sin and it was because of his sin that that child would die and David would weep for that child and he cried and he fell on his face and he just God if you might just be merciful but then when they heard the whispers that the child was dead he was weeping while the child was alive but when he heard the whispers, if you want to see the promises of God, you've got to know how to handle the whispers. Because I remember when my wife's grandfather, he passed away in 2020. And there came a text, 1.06 in the morning, I'll never forget it. 
Papaw's gone. We wept for Papaw. God, get him out of the hospital. God, let him, let him be able to breathe. Don't let COVID take him. But in 106 in the morning, the whispers. Papaw's gone. What do, you, what do you do with the whispers? What happens, what happens, Tex, when you're just going through your day and all of a sudden you hear the whispers? They're gone. And the reality of what you have lost is continually reminding you of what you've lost. Listen, listen, listen. You hear the whispers. What do you do with the whispers? While the child was alive, David, he wept. But when the whispers came, he got up, straightened his tie, and he said, I worship you. You want to know why? He worshiped, and he went and got a hamburger. You want to know why? He says, you know what? I can't bring that child back. But I can go to him. And worship is what bridges the gap between the burial place and the birthplace. It's not weeping. Wipe your tears. Straighten your tie. Get a hamburger. Because guess what? You can't bring them back through your penance. You can't bring them back. But you can go to them and worship. You can go to God and worship. So what do you do with the worship or the whispers? Worship. But here's the thing. Watch this. This is what God spoke to me specifically for you. And I've never preached this before in my life. I, I got the thought because we lost Papaw. We lost another man in our church. We, we lost another one. I got there. Listen, it wasn't a couple months before I had one of our main guys die to cancer. Stupid cancer. Right? And I had this thought come to me. Okay, David heard the whispers, began to worship, but then he has another son who is ultimately, we know him as Solomon. He wrote the book of Proverbs. Right? He was known for his wisdom. So can I tell you, like Bethlehem, Bathsheba, the same womb that produced one moment weeping, would ultimately, that same womb would produce wisdom. The same womb that produced weeping, one day will produce wisdom that is un paralleled that will be able to reach into the hearts of man for millennia i'm here to tell you here harvest house your bethlehem and the same womb that produced weeping is going to produce in you a wisdom that's going to cause you to reach far beyond just marion i'm telling you there's a wisdom that's going to come on this church and on this leadership because there's going to be people like the Queen of Sheba that came from the farthest places all the way to hear about the wisdom. 
I'm telling you, you're going to have a season ministry on you like you've never known because of the same womb. It's about to produce a Solomon. It's about to produce a leadership that is unmatched and unparalleled. So you need to thank God. But the thing that bridges the gap between weeping and wisdom is worship. I don't understand why it had to happen the way that it happened. I don't understand why, but I worship you. And out of that is coming wisdom. The same room that produced pain is the same room that produces the prophetic. The same room that produced the tears is going to produce... Oh, somebody lift your voice right now. It's not over. It's Bethlehem. It's just the beginning. Now hear me, hear me. So don't get rid of Bathsheba just yet. Because it hadn't produced what you wanted it to produce. Heartache, pain, loss. The womb has produced things you've had to bury. But don't get rid of her. Don't get rid of the old girl. She's about to produce. But here's the thing, Sister Cheryl. Here's the thing. When that Queen of Sheba, Sheba represented the farthest known lands. And the Queen of Sheba came to hear about the wisdom of Solomon. Traveled far and wide to just hear about the wisdom. But when she got there, you know what she found? She said, the half wasn't told me. And she started talking about the food on the table. She started talking about the, the sitting of the servants, the leadership organizational structure that was in place. It wasn't just the wisdom that was ordained of God. It was the way that they conducted themselves, the sitting of the servants, the meat of the table, the approach unto the sanctuary, everything. But then there's only, you go through there, there's like ten things that she recognized before she even got to the wisdom of Solomon. But watch. It said there's only one thing that she mentioned twice and recognized twice in all the things she noticed. And she said, all this stuff, you're doing it, so, it's so great. But she said, but happy are your servants. And happy are they. Listen. You want to know what's going to take this world by storm? After everything you've been through. You're just happy. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, yes. 
I know it's not that profound, but I'm telling you, you know what they're going to notice more than a building? You know what they're going to notice more than all this stuff you got going on that's great? They're happy folks. They really enjoy doing what they're doing. Who's going to play? You going to play, Bethany? Yeah, just go straight to the piano. Right? How many know the story of Job? Yeah. We all talk about it trying to help people cope with their loss. Right? We do. Right? You know Job. We, we know Job. Job was a good dude who had bad stuff happen to him. And that's a lot of reason why some people turn God off. Claim to be an atheist. I know one young man. He came to our church. Said, I'm an atheist. I said, oh, okay. But the Bible says every man's dealt a measure of faith. So I was like, even though he said that he was an atheist, I knew that there was a measure of faith in him. So I said, what happened? So what happened? We went out to eat. He made that mistake going out to eat with me. Because I like to preach, but I like to eat because that's where real ministry happens. That's Bible. The Bible said when supper was ended, Jesus began to minister. He didn't say when church begins, Jesus began to minister. No. He said when supper was over, he said, all right, it's time. But here's the deal. We sat down and I said, all right, so what's the deal? What happened? He said, what do you mean what happened? I said, what took your faith? What buried your faith? He said, oh, my mom was abusive. He said, my mom used to lock me in a closet. Mom, sometimes, he said, wake me up in the middle of the night, put me in the car, drive me across town to a hotel, all kinds of stuff. Right? Sometimes mom would tie me to her. So in case I moved, I couldn't run away. Because she was paranoid, right? So all this stuff. And I said, so what happened? Here's my mom. So he had faith, but he was buried under hurt. It was buried under abuse. It was buried under all the. But faith was there. So everybody in this house that can hear me, you have faith, but sometimes it's buried beneath disappointment, depression, abuse. But it's there. That was free. I don't know why I said that. But hear me. Job lost good. He was a good person, but bad things happened to him. And he lost. Watch what he lost. He lost first all of his finances, all of his cattle. But then he lost all of his children because a storm blew in. And then marauders came and stole all his stuff. But then ultimately he lost his health. He was caught up in the ebb and flow of life. He experienced an outgoing tide. Notice how the oceans, you'll know every day, twice a day, they hit high tide, low tide. And there is the ebb and flow of life that literally there are low tides that take things away from you. 
They strip you of everything that you have. It was Job, like us, that was experiencing an outgoing tide, taking from us everything that we possess. It's not just you and Marion not just Harvest House, it's not just Texas and Bethany, no, 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 it's not, no, it's not. We all experience these outgoing tides where fathers walk away. I know, because that's what happened. But here's the thing the Bible says. You ready? Where are you going? No, you come up here. You bring the baby up here. Because I'm about to need, I, I want the Orton family, as in uh, uh, Brother Orton, Sister Orton, Younger Brother Orton, Tex, why don't you come up here? I'm going to show you a scripture that turns everything around. Because we know the end, we know the end of Job's story. Everybody preaches the end, and the end was greater than his beginning. But I'm going to show you this scripture. After experiencing an outgoing tide that takes from you. Did you know in that outgoing tide, it usually reveals things in the ocean floor that could not be seen otherwise? So in a season of loss is a season also of revelation. But here's the thing. In that outgoing tide, has anybody ever lost anything in this last few years? We all have. But the Bible said, we know the end of Job's story, right? He had, he had some fine daughters. Uh-huh. He had twice as much as he had in the beginning. But what changed it all? Here's what changed it all. After he had lost everything, the Bible says, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job, comma. But when did he turn the captivity? When did he turn that tide to a tide that started bringing things to him? It says, when he prayed for his friends. Now, why is that so significant? Why is that so significant? I'll tell you why. But here's the thing. When you think you have nothing left, what do you mean pray for my friends? I don't have anything. What do you mean pray for others? I'm the one that needs prayer. All his buddies, just ask them. They were okay. They had nothing wrong with them. They got it all together. They still got their kids. They're having their churches are growing. And you want me to pray for them? But God was saying, Job, I know you may have lost a lot, but I am about to turn the tide. But you've got to realize that you have your faith left. So what I felt in this sanctuary, what needs to happen? Those that have lost the most are the greatest cat, the greatest candidates for a turnaround. So young lady, right now, I just want you to close your eyes and I want you to lift your hands. And I want somebody to begin to pray for your friend. 
Chotorita Boko You ready for things to turn around? You ready for the tide to turn and God to begin to bring the harvest to you? Then go pray when you have nothing left. Go pray after you've already lost. Go pray. No, spread out. Spread out. You don't need to just go to one, but go to all. Take a step forward, come on. You need to take a step forward, break away. 
Break away from that old man. Break away from that old life. 